0: Welcome back to Investing Experts Podcast. I'm Daniel Snyder. In this episode, Silicon Valley veteran and audience favorite Bertrand Seguin from App Economy Portfolio joins us in the hot seat as we dive into Google versus Microsoft race for AI domination. We also go over two stock picks he is recommending for investors at this time, and one of them is a bold call against a specific Berkshire holding change in their latest 13F filing. But first... Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guests, my own positions and the securities mentioned. But this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. Lastly, a shout out to WebFam6, who just gave us another five-star rating and review. If you're enjoying these episodes, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. It helps us climb the charts and lets us continue to bring these expert insights every week. Now let's get into the interview. All right, Bertrand, I got to say, I love having you on the podcast. I follow you all across the board, the data, the charts you put together. I mean, you are a content machine, but for the people that don't know who you are, maybe just take a little bit of time up here up front and kind of give us your background of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Well, the,
1: the long story short is I went to business school in France, uh, started my career in financial audit where i was uh, i was at price with our scoopers where i did financial audit for a large wide range of industries um eventually i was poached by a, a large gaming publisher called bandai namco that's a japanese uh, company that invented pac-man for if you don't know back in the 80s uh so very one of the biggest mobile gaming companies in the world they, they have uh ips like dragon ball uh, namely uh, that does very well in the world um and so I, I learned a lot of stuff being in gaming being a financial executive in uh, in gaming i was also involved in corporate strategy so it taught me a lot about MA and just uh, the uh, power dynamics and what matters when you make an investment in the corporate world um, and you know that inspired me to really watch the gaming industry switch from analog to digital because when i first started in gaming it was probably 2010 so most of the revenue in 2010 in the gaming industry was still like you know boxes on shelf uh you buy up here at the time uh, what was it ps3 games uh so it was replicated discs right in the box and i watched firsthand you know the whole thing switched to digital at first we couldn't believe that right oh wow 20 percent of our sales from this game will come from digital platforms now, people don't mind not having a disk. That was a surprise at first, right? but we came to that realization it was still like twenty twelve or something right uh twenty thirteen and uh, the same for the rise of mobile i've I've witnessed mobile becoming the de facto like place where people are switching their gaming experience with free to play games. People didn't believe free to play games were a thing if you go back ten years or a little over that so uh, maybe 2010 was uh, the beginning of the rise after the iPhone launch and uh, and the app ecosystem growing. So my point here is I looked at all these things firsthand and I've eagerly tried to apply this to other categories where I'm like, I know what works for gaming and gaming tends to be a few years ahead of the the rest of the pack. And so where, what are other industries that are shifting to analog from analog to digital in the same way where there are investment opportunities or ways to really benefit from that trend. And if you extrapolate that to you know the shift from uh cable to streaming, the shift from uh analog advertising to the really, uh, full-on digital advertising that we talked about today. Uh if you think about the rise of AI, if you think about uh you know we it was Valentine's Day yesterday, so we talk about uh match group and how matchmaking has become a full-on digital uh, business where people spend money on dating apps the same way they spend money on games right so so many businesses are flourishing now making extremely high margins out of uh, business models that didn't even exist 15 years ago i've I've really enjoyed learning in that space and this is where really i I seek opportunities uh, moving
0: forward Why don't we just go ahead and dive into the meat and the potatoes of everything that's going on right now, the world of AI. We want to hear from the man from Silicon Valley himself, the veteran. What is going on with Microsoft and Google right now? Do you favor one over the other? What should we be watching as investors?
1: I wanted to chat about Google and Microsoft and everything that's going on in AI, mostly because, first of all, it's so captivating, right? It's been really top of mind. I think it's pretty rare that we see such a big shift in terms of a potential competitive landscape that gets reshaped. Uh a lot of people, you know, refer to T Ballmer at the time. Uh, the iphone was announced and he looked at his own market share and didn't didn't feel really threatened by it and was pretty comfortable that people needed a keyboard on their phone or things like that so that's kind of reminiscent of this space and it begs the question are we seeing a similar shift right now and i hope today we can chat about why it may or may not be the case but uh, that's that's the kind of shift we're seeing um and so the the big announcement that microsoft has made of course was Uh, right after the huge success that we've seen from ChatGPT. So uh, after two months, uh, after a proper launch to consumers, it took two months for the app to reach 100 million users. But that's the the big headline, right? Everybody cares about ChatGPT more than they care about Bing, right? But uh, the thing is Microsoft has had this search asset with Bing for a very long time uh, with a estimated 3%. Market share uh, of the search markets compared to 93% for Google. So it's a, a small piece of the pie, but the the whole excitement is around oh, what if Microsoft powers being with ChatGPT? And now you're looking at something that can eat away at the market and really, really thrive. And so um, the core uh, thing to consider first is large language, right? Uh, large language models or LLM, they are. They are what powers those conversational AI. So an AI you can uh, chat with and uh, back and forth with uh, questions and answers. Um, And so when you think about LLM, that's just a deep learning algorithm, right? Where uh, it uses a massive uh, data set, basically the internet, right? In the case of ChatGPT, and uh, it can then recognize, uh, um, summarize, translate, predict things based on uh, trends, things like that. So it's, it's like a financial analyst, if you will, who would have all the data about earnings of a company and they can regurgitate you know, what's going on, maybe trend lines, uh, margin trends, things like that. What has been captivating is the allegations of a code red, right, at Google. I'm sure you heard about that, uh, the code red being uh, the beginning of a big red flag internally at Google, uh, similar to a fire alarm, where they believe their existing business model may be threatened by the rise of this new incumbent, which is also happens to be one of the biggest companies in the world. So it's an interesting dynamic, right? So that Microsoft uh, uh, takes as a role here, both incumbent and large player, uh, uh, rising emerging force, and. Um, When you look at uh, the PR that has been happening, it's really favoring Microsoft right now because Microsoft came out with a very big, flashy announcement. It was the $10 billion investment in OpenAI, the announcement that Bing will incorporate ChatGPT technology, and that right after that, Google had to come out with its own press release and its own event where they showed that they also had Uh, that capacity internally and they would launch a product that has similar features or at least for options to search with a conversational AI aspect to it. And that one is called Bard. if you haven't heard of it. When you look at this dynamic, uh, the impression was, oh, Google is, is rushing to catch up, right? To add insult to injury here, there was a clear mistake in the demonstration Of what Google Bard is capable of. And that was, if you if you don't know, it was basically a question about what what was the first uh, exoplanet discovered, or what exactly when was the first exoplanet discovered, and there was a wrong answer provided. In certain ways, that wrong answer would have also been provided by a Google search. It was essentially a human mistake from a website. And so it was not necessarily BARD making a mistake, but the headline was out there for everybody to see, oh, this new product from Google made a mistake. One could argue this wiped out 100 billion from Google's market cap, because the day this launch happened, maybe people were also underwhelmed by the announcements. Uh, we have yet to see you know, more product that would compete directly with ChatGPT. but for that Google Bard announcement, you, you, we saw the stock tank almost 10% and 100 billion being wiped out. This should have happened to Microsoft, and I'll tell you why. The in the Microsoft very curated announcement with Satya Nadella speaking, we had a very clear layout of what Bing Plus Edge, Plus Edge and ChatGPT will achieve. They they made this announcement. However, there were several mistakes as well in Microsoft presentation, and people are only catching up to these mistakes. Right now, in the past 24 hours, there were, uh, in particular, a pet vacuum review that was demonstrated literally wrong information about what the products can, the product can do. And uh, they went through gap earnings reports and the financial statement summary had several uh, numbers that were completely wrong. And, you know, as, as someone who's into like, going to the fundamentals, pooling company data, if you tell me that some numbers may or may not be wrong, that renders this search engine completely useless, right? That Bing plus ChatGPT product is not ready for prime time. Uh, that begs the question, what is all the fuss? You know, uh, what the fuss is all about. And so when you, when you think about the dynamics at play, uh, the biggest questions right now are around what is Microsoft trying to achieve and what can be the actual impact for, for Google? And that's really what I'm interested in.
0: And so you're saying Google actually has an opportunity here, maybe with, you know, Google Cloud and being able to store all of their data and process as well?
1: It's very clear that Google with Google Cloud is threatening Microsoft. Um, If you don't know, Google Cloud not only includes the cloud infrastructure services in order to Azure and AWS, but it also includes uh, Google Workspace which is a direct competitor to Office, right? For well, Microsoft, Office 365. It's in Microsoft's interest to challenge Google on its search initiatives because it may pull away some resource from uh, Google Cloud, which is currently still running at a loss. Google has invested heavily in its cloud infrastructure to be able to compete with Amazon and Azure. And it's the third contender right now. It's still growing faster. Uh, that so it is catching up. Uh, for context, in Q4, uh, Microsoft uh, grew three thirty one percent uh, with Azure and Cloud, and Google Cloud grew thirty two percent. So slightly faster, uh, but it's still a distant third. Circling back to what Microsoft's main goal is, I think we see uh, the main risk for Google into twofold. The number one is market share erosion, and number two. Is the gross margin or the margin profile of search that could dwindle for for Google? When you think about the market share erosion, it's very simple, right? If you have ninety three percent market share uh, while the other has three percent, it wouldn't take that much for the sh- a slight shift to occur. There is the CFO of uh, the the search business that includes Windows. Uh, Phil, Phil Okeden is his name, uh, he mentioned that every percentage point that Microsoft gains in the search category would net uh, 2 billion in revenue, right? Uh, that tells you everything you need to know that Microsoft is at about 6 billion annually from search, give or take based on these numbers. There is a clear interest there and they can do it without seeking a very high margin because this is all incremental for Microsoft, this is all like gravy on top of their existing business lines. Meanwhile, Google has to be highly protective because they, this is key to their business. It uh, uh, was about 56% of Google's revenue in, uh, in Q4. And, and so they have to be protective of that. Uh, on, on the market share side, I do want to point out that there are so many things that go against the idea that Google search is dead, right? Or anything like that. But First, we have to consider what exactly does a Bing plus ChatGPT GPT competes with, right? Uh, Google search includes things like Gmail, uh, things like Google Maps, any kind of ads you see when you search through the Google Play Store, uh, Google Lens, right? Those things, they don't even involve an AI, a conversa- conversational AI. So th- that part is irrelevant. So they don't necessarily break it break down you know what part is what in their search advertising but there are all these properties that are included in there mm-hmm. google search itself has uh multiple layers on mobile uh it's it's not necessarily threatened by the same type of search that you see on desktop right so chat gpt plus bing is more of a desktop research thing it's been well documented that google doesn't seek to make money on everything you do through its ecosystem. They want to retain the user in the ecosystem. Some aspects of the conversational AI may be uh, at a low margin or lower margin profile. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean the thesis around the strength of Google search is completely uh, flipped, right?
0: What about the cost to run all of these things though? And that, that brings me to the,
1: the second challenge around the, the margin and the, the margin profile of the search category. Uh, so the, what you may hear about, if you don't know yet, but you'll hear more about them, they are the inference costs. Uh, and so inference is the compute cost, if you will, when you run live data into a, a machine learning algorithm. So to, to try to make it simple, if I type in Google, uh, Amazon Q4, uh, earnings, it's gonna put a link to the investors relation website and I'm all set, right? Uh, so that's a really low cost for the compute power that needs to run behind it. But if I ask what are the main takeaways from Amazon's earnings according to tech analysts, now the, the data that uh, the, the system has to go through to sift through to give me a proper answer that is summarized with the right numbers with just the key points I need to know, the, the compute cost is much higher. And so if there is a new expectation that most, most search has that kind of uh, delivery, of course it will adversely impact the margin profile. But what is important to keep in mind is that not all searches require that level of uh, breakdown, right? Sometimes you just want to know at what time is the movie tonight. Sometimes you just want to know Uh, how much is the flight, uh, cost right now to fly over to Vietnam or whatever that may be. So it's, uh, where Google makes the big difference is, you know, when you search for a trip, when you search for options to buy something. Um, and so it's, uh, it's not always gonna challenge the revenue side of things. It will challenge at least to an extent, the cost side of things, um. But one very important point that was recently made by uh, ARK Invest, they've made both claims, right? ARK Invest is known for making wild claims on Tesla or things like that. But they made a good point this week on uh, rights law and basically the same logic you could apply to uh, semiconductors where the inference costs inference cost related to uh, compute, the compute power basically required to get those research done. Uh, is expected to decline significantly in the upcoming years, to a point where where it become uh, really really small. And so, maybe that challenge on the gross margin, which is top of mind right now as we watch the story unfold, is not going to matter as much uh, just like twelve to twenty four months from now, uh, if we see those inference costs uh, drop, you know, 70 percent. As as the uh, just the overall infrastructure evolves and uh, uh, the the production uh, scale, uh, which I think once you have that in mind, you can make an educated decision on whether you still believe Google will, you know, keep its share or give away some of its share, give away some of its margin. But it's a little bit overdone in my view in terms of uh, uh, a, a massive shift that like we've seen with the launch of the iPhone because of Google's ownership of the Android ecosystem, uh, its lead on mobile and things like that. And maybe one last point on all this that I'm really eager to watch is uh, traffic acquisition cost. Uh, We talked about this last time we chatted together, Daniel, which was, would somebody else decide to enter Google's fray by paying Apple billions of dollars Uh, 20 plus billion dollars it would cost to be the search engine by default on apple devices microsoft gives google a run for its money on the traffic acquisition cost that could really challenge the market share and so those are gigantic amounts right if google pays give or take in 22 apparently google paid close to 20 billion in in, uh, traffic acquisition cost to be the default engine on apple Devices. devices so if Microsoft comes in and says, I'm gonna pay Apple 30 billion for this, uh, then yes, the entire landscape changes, but it's highly speculative at this point. Um, and who knows what Apple would wanna do, right? But those are the things that will be the the pole events that could really challenge uh, a lot of things I said today on, uh, on market share that makes sense.
0: So I'm glad you brought that part of about reducing the cost to compute all of this? Because I was reading earlier about who uh, it was Brian Nowak of Morgan Stanley, or he went as uh, so far as to say that if Google wound up seeing half of its queries using natural language integration, it could raise the company's costs as much as $6 billion and cut earnings before interest and taxes by up to 6%. And you're saying that they're going to find ways to reduce those costs. So does it kind of make sense? I mean, we think about search now, right? You go to Google, you go to Bing, you search, you see ads right away at the top of the results. I mean, if you get rid of those ads, because if it's something like chat GPT, which I think a lot of investors have been playing around with trying to figure out what it is, there, there's no ads there. So are they going to be able to cut the costs based off of using things like renewable energy to power these data stations? Or, or I mean, what's the, what is the thing that investors should be watching in regards to how these companies plan to cut those costs to make this thing not bleed into their their financial stuff. Yeah, no, the, those are excellent points. Uh, I think the that's
1: where the at least marginal impact on the gross uh, profit coming from search will will exist, uh, especially in the short term. Um, and um, you know, rights law st- says those things about how cost is supposed to st- uh, steadily decline as we increase the the raw like production size uh, and uh the infrastructure underneath it so it remains to be seen right so uh maybe it seems it will seem obvious two years uh, three years down the line that these costs were bound to decrease and that generative ai uh, uh, would not cost as much as it does in 2020 as it did in 2022 uh even assuming uh, the state right now of six billion billion dollar impact yes it impacts the again the short term but Uh, I would gauge that Google would be willing to sacrifice that short-term gross profit because what is at stake is much bigger, right? Is that what I pointed out to that retention within the ecosystem. So of course, from a valuation angle, if you start building models and extrapolate the, the margin profile over time, then some of the pressure on Google's price and valuation is warranted, right? You could say, at least until we have more clarity, the, a range of outcomes has increased and with that as an investor you could say well i need to be paid more to wait right because now uh the downside of, uh, risk is as increased right uh, and i think that's that's where it comes into play where you you have to consider more outcomes um and that's that's how i think about it so it, it's not going to be black or white right it's not going to be there that's it, $6 billion, and it's going to get worse from there. It's probably going to be less from there if we, if we believe in rights law and, uh, and give credence to ARK Invest's analysis on that. Uh, and if not, it would, Google would still be a business up and running with a lot of things going on under the hood. If this, then what? Right? Uh, is it the end of the world? Most, most likely, uh, more likely than not, it's not the end of the world for Google.
0: Yeah, so I I have to ask you, if an investor came up to you, somebody in your service and was like, hey, we're looking at the AI, AI race, obviously, you just gave a great summary of pretty much everything that's going on, you had to choose Microsoft or Google, if you had to put your name behind one, which one should we be focusing on right now?
1: Yeah, good question.
0: Uh,
1: and I, I am biased, uh, I have to start with that, because, you know, I'm, I've been in the gaming industry for the past decade, and I've... Uh, I've been uh, watching the industry switch to mobile and watch Google really take over the world and, uh, with Android and become the, the, the mobile OS uh, winning, you know, besides uh, Apple. Uh, and so I have been uh, all along very disappointed with Microsoft's failure to embrace the mobile world. And Microsoft has done a tremendous job in so many other areas, right, to be the giant it is today. But it failed at mobile, it failed on the hardware, it failed on the software side. Uh, and instead it won in other things that were completely unrelated. I was an early investor in uh, uh, LinkedIn, for example, that was bought at right by uh, Microsoft. and so I think they made a great move there. I still think they make the right move with Xbox even though it will take time for them to uh, fully deliver on their promise with the uh, with uh, their cloud service. But overall, as far as search, goes and as far as AI powered search goes, I have my money with Google every day of the week because even if it can lose some of some of its uh, mind share right now if there is a you know clear evidence that uh, and early evidence that ChatGPT plus being delivers whilst Google has yet to come come out with a solution, then it could see a, a slight shift but I do think that it's reasonable to believe Google will come out with at least as competent tools to do search with AI, to, to put it simply. And that when they do, uh, I don't think people will be eager to switch from Chrome, right? That people have been using and are very attached to, to a Microsoft Edge and to rebuild their entire internet desktop funnel through Microsoft Edge. I, I'm very... Uh, i i I doubt it. I doubt this would be meaningful, uh, and Microsoft would struggle to enter the mobile space, right so that's where a lot of search is going on and for For as long as Google owns that ecosystem and has a way to be the default engine there, uh, it will be very hard to for Google to gain significant market share where it matters uh, so that's for search with that being said, uh, if we switch to <coughs> The AI-powered cloud, I think this is a toss-up uh, because uh, Google Cloud is still a distant third, right? And even though they are going to use AI applied to uh, you know, their entire cloud services, I think Microsoft is making fantastic moves uh, with Azure and everything powered by AI within Azure and that their large customers are very happy with it. So I would say that this is, it's two different, very different, uh, segments of their business, and they, I think, they will both win on their respective segments. It doesn't have to be one over the other. It just depends on what layer of the AI uh, stack we're talking
0: about. But I want to take a step back a second. Mentioning earlier about how you go to search, and you know, Google gets a lot of ad revenue from their search. You put out a great chart recently, and we're going to put it in the show notes here on Seeking Alpha of the different advertising revenue numbers that Google or Meta or Amazon make every single quarter. I think if people are thinking about how ch- the, the search functionality might change over time, what's going to happen to this ad revenue for these companies? Uh, maybe you just want to walk us through the chart a little bit if there's anything you want to point out as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I would say the reason why I built that, this
1: chart is Uh, to help people digest and contextualize the advertising revenue landscape right now, Uh, because it's easy to get lost in the headlines and you have to dig deep inside a 10Q or a 10K to really break down what is what. And so, uh, because there was so much talk about how Microsoft is disrupting everything and this is the new search giant, uh, I wanted to also reassess that, well, this is the state uh, right now of the market. Amazon has been doing it. Well, so much talk about Microsoft, that Amazon is disrupting search uh, because they are on track to, they've just made 27% of Google search revenue was Amazon advertising revenue in Q4 2022. So they've built a business that is more than a quarter of the biggest advertising business on earth. Uh, and that's more than a double from uh, two years ago. Uh, if you consider Q3 2020, which was only 5 billion in revenue for Amazon advertising, it has become almost 12 billion in revenue in the last quarter. So fascinating to watch Amazon advertising. I think everybody knew it was happening, and people are making the same assumptions on Apple and its capacity to deliver a 30 billion run rate uh, in the next three years. So we are seeing slowly like those large ecosystems find a way to monetize their audience and to really make a difference. Uh, of course, we have Meta in the chart. That is the, the second biggest one. Uh, Meta has been relatively flat in the past two years, where right? it has its own share of challenges because users are not growing anymore. So it has to find other ways uh, to increase its uh, average revenue per user. But And Apple has completely demolished them, right? Yep, yep. So the... Uh, for those who don't know, Apple launched the app app tracking uh, transparency, which basically makes uh makes it more difficult for a platform to monetize its audience uh because they have uh, they don't have the same capacity to uh, triangulate or to see where uh, what are other sites that someone has been to before hopping on facebook for example or instagram so they they show you less relevant ads which therefore cost less for the advertiser. Um, and so, uh, I don't put in the chart YouTube because I thought it was on its own really big and still thriving. Not not uh, in Q4, but still like an up and coming uh, platform. But YouTube alone is eight billion dollars in revenue from Google, right? And that has zero impact from the chat GPTs of the world. But uh, just uh, putting it out there, the Google YouTube is about eleven percent of uh, of YouTube of uh, Google's overall revenue. Alphabet, I should say. Um, and so. What I love with this dynamic at play is it fairly shows that uh uh well meta is Luke, is waiting for its second wind. Uh we'll have to see if it happens and it may not be on the advertising side. Probably Reels uh taking over what has been the more like legacy platforms uh revenue, the what we call the feed, right? Your Facebook feed when you scroll. Um meanwhile, for Google, this is still very much uh growing business, but that may be uh, will face the, its first like a uh, setback in the upcoming quarters if it loses market share. Um, but you know, I see the the use of Google Lens increasing significantly. The potential for Google Google Lens to be shoppable. Uh, there are there are other ways you know uh, Google can really make this Google search uh, segment thrive. But I wish they broke it down more, you know, so that we have a, a better sense of. Uh, how big is Google map, you know, out of Google search? How big is Gmail? Um, and those things are almost their own separate mini empires uh, that that would be worth studying because they, they follow different rules uh, in terms of uh, retention and monetization.
0: It's an interesting point that you bring up about Amazon. I mean, on this chart, I look back at Q3 of 2020 and it was bringing a $5 billion of advertising. Uh, revenue and now Q4 2022, they're at 11.6 billion. I mean, that's that's an easy double in the next last two years, and that's based off of Twitch and the Amazon Store, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yes, uh,
1: Twitch is probably relatively small
0: out of that, but uh, we we don't have the the exact
1: breakdown, unfortunately.
0: And then you also have Google here. You said uh, you know Google search uh, revenue for ads is down four percent year over year, but it sounds like you're still all in with Google. Um, and I think that's a nat- nice natural transition. We want to obviously talk about the two stocks uh, that you are saying are a great opportunity right now. The first stock is Taiwan Semi, which I want to start with because we just saw the 13F filing from Berkshire that they dramatically reduced their stake in Taiwan Semi. So, why, you, why do you say that it's still a great opportunity at this moment in time? Yeah, uh,
1: when you think about uh, uh, the dynamic at play of the, the AI race. Uh, Taiwan Semi is just one of many, Uh, and so uh, I think over the past year, I've been more inclined to look again at the semiconductor industry just because it is suffering right now from the supply chain movements that followed the pandemic, right? And uh, after uh, shortages, you see a, a glut. And essentially short-term fundamentals get hurt with a potential slowdown. Uh, The first half of 2023 will probably look very ugly for TSMC. And so it really comes down to your time horizon, right? And for companies like TSMC, but also Nvidia or AMD, what you're seeing right now is you have to kind of hold your nose and uh, look look at the performance realizing, okay, this is gonna look bad right now, but five years down the line, those companies that are powering literally everything we talked about today, right? Uh, the c- competition between Google and Microsoft around uh, whether it's on the cloud side of things or the search side of things, um, all this compute power that is needed to get there, they are the picks and shovels, right? Especially for TSMC because they 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 are really building the hardware, right? That's uh, going to power all this, um, and so there were quite a few developments that were interesting uh to me in terms of their expansion to the us kind of de-risking slightly the geopolitical uh aspect of it which will always exist no matter what right that that's something to keep in mind tsmc is based in taiwan and so uh you never know what could happen in terms of uh, the uh, situation for taiwan and how it is considered on the geopolitical landscape but all that said um, tsmc uh, is a uh, a lot cheaper than uh, it uh, used to be uh as uh, when you when you look back at you know the past two years it was not a buy definitely uh, throughout 2021 and early 2022 uh but for the past you know three months three four months uh, it looks appealing because there are good developments in terms of apple being determined to uh have tsmc really ramping up things in the us with the the financials long term looking healthy as ever and the uh, and valuation becoming more palatable you know with uh, if you look at uh, um the ebitda multiple because it's kind of easier to watch a, a trend with the ebitda you can see that it's on the low end of the spectrum of the past 20 years right um uh, something like um 7 to 10 times ebitda if you, depending on the time of the day you're looking uh, and the time of the month but this is uh uh, I, I added it to my portfolio uh, first of January decision, so it's up 25% since then, but uh, don't don't think I'm a genius. Everything is up 25% since the beginning of the year, but I, I still feel like pretty good about that entry point, and, I, and it might be an opportunity again later this year. Uh, all I know is that I, I find it hard to argue against owning Taiwan Semiconductor in a well-balanced portfolio because it has that ina- international exposure. It is the raw compute power around the rise of AI. And uh, that, that's really how I think about it. I find it harder to defend, not to own it. And, and then we, uh, we won't go deep into the when exactly to buy and what should be the red flags. I, I do that monthly with my subscribers, but uh, at least for how it was trading in the past three months, I'm, I'm pretty happy I, I started buying some shares.
0: I was going to ask you, I mean, playing devil's advocate, right? Cause people like to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. You brought up the geopolitical side of things, but what also about, I mean, it feels like almost every month they're coming out and announcing that they're spending more and more on CapEx, right? And, and it takes them forever to build these foundries, even the Arizona plate and trying to get the three nanometers started. And then eventually there's, as we all know, there's going to be like a two nanometer and a one nanometer and a whatever's after that. Like it takes so long to progress through that. And there's so much capital spend. Like we know the backlog is pretty full, but I mean, that's a long time time horizon. And if China decides to invade Taiwan, does that disrupt the operations and the build?
1: Uh, it could. I think this is
0: all about like, a, can there be a steady flow of trade,
1: right? And if trade changes, and now you have everything, you know, that uh, goes out of Taiwan that sees uh, complications. Yeah, I think the potential China invasion of Taiwan makes the position sizing a key, right? So the when it, we talk about risk we switch the conversation to a very different one which is portfolio management risk management and position sizing meaning would i have 20% of my portfolio in tsmc probably not right because there there uh, it's all about again going back to this notion of the range of outcomes if there is a wide range of outcomes with a possible like a really negative one that involves that the like, investment being very challenged then it's not necessarily smart to build a very large position because you want to factor your downside risk, right? So that's, that's kind of like how I cannot remove the risk, but I can monitor it by adjusting the size. So that's how I generally think about that. Um, and on the capex side, I would say that's the nature of the beast, right? It's just part of the, uh, business where we are in here. Uh, this is one of the most profitable businesses in the world, uh, by far. So uh, operating margin, you know, for 50%. Uh, so what I don't perceive the, the CapEx as too big of an issue because it is well documented with the track record that it is money well spent. So it, it kind of, again, makes you hold your nose in the short term, but uh, if the data is here and, you know, uh, again, I've been in the mobile gaming industry where sometimes you spend a ton to acquire users, but you're only gonna make money from them, you know, two, three years down the line for those who retain and become heavy spenders. That's that's how you work, right? You work with the full life cycle. You see where it's going to get you and you you spend that money when you have all the data and intelligence to know you're doing the right thing. So that's that's how I think about it.
0: Now, let's go ahead and get into that second stock pick that we were going to talk about today. And that's a software company, right? Why don't you go ahead and just you know announce what it is and what's the thesis here behind this one?
1: Yeah, sure, uh, you know, I I do a deep dive every month for members of the uh, economy portfolio where I, I go um, into the details of why I think a company looks special. And so the, the company I've covered uh, two weeks ago for the February stock idea was uh, monday.com. And so if you, if you search for a uh, kind of a software tool that helps you collaborate and uh, be productive, you must have seen uh gazillion ads about Monday.com come on YouTube and elsewhere, because they are very aggressive with, with their sales and marketing. Uh, so the long story short is my, one of my favorite thing to do is to find businesses that look like the, the big successes of today, but how they look like maybe 10 years, five to 10 years ago. And so, you know, productivity and, uh, work, uh, what they, they define themselves as a work OS a work operating system, meaning where you organize your work as a company, small or big. And you have other companies that succeeded in that field like ServiceNow or Workday that have become software giants, right? And interestingly enough, if we walk back memory lane, Daniel and we go back 10 years ago, 2013, uh, ServiceNow and Workday look exactly like monday.com today. To a T, you wouldn't believe it. I pulled a few charts for my members, but the revenue growth rate, the margin profile, operating margin on the gap basis, the cash flow margin, everything is basically there they were like Monday.com and they had everything looking the same. And if you look forward now, so 10 years later, well, if Monday can follow that path, we're looking at a 10x to 20x. Uh, So am I saying it's going to do 10x or 20x? I don't know. I really don't. But I like my odds here and, you know, I focus on what I can control. So if if I know the ingredients of the recipe are in the pot, you know, I think uh, I'm going to have a good meal. So that's the theory around like putting things together here. Uh, What it's hard to invest, you know, in software companies that are unprofitable in uh, this uh, current environment. Uh, However, uh, even though we have a potential you know, liquidity crisis and interest rate being higher and uh, uh, discount rates uh, changing a little bit how you think about valuation, those things are temporary, they are cyclical. And even though we could stay in this cycle for five, 10 years, who knows? Uh, the, the valuation right now is at a point where it could get cheaper, but it's not going to be a lot cheaper because at some point you just have multiple that just make sense uh given the revenue growth rate and where the margin profile should be at scale so the the way to think about it is how does the company look at scale so they spend a ton of money to acquire users so that the sales and marketing expenses however down the line they know that they have more than offset all these costs because people who get acquired and enter the ecosystem eventually spend money and they spend more money over time as they grow their teams on the platform. And uh, that's how you know that down the line, you're going to get a beautiful margin profile for the business that is going to return a lot of value to shareholders. And so that business specifically Monday.com reason why I do care about it in this environment is that they almost have a billion dollars, they have 853 million dollars on their balance sheet, barely any long-term debt. So these guys can fund their growth as much as they want. And they're already cash flow positive they are they already generating comfortable cash flow margins above 10 percent um, and so they create cash they generate cash for their business already they have a ton of cash on their balance sheet if they want to acquire opportunistically or just be more aggressive or hire more they can do that they have uh, two co-founders that are still uh, heavily uh, they are both ceos they are co-ceos and they are still you know uh, what, what I like to find in companies is to find, um, uh, CEOs or founders that have skin in the game, meaning that the success of their company is still very much important to them and in their best interest. So we're talking about more than 30%, 32%, I believe is still owned by the management team here. Uh, so this is, those are all the ingredients i really look for to find relatively smaller companies that can go five, 10, because they, they have all the, all these ingredients. Uh, so small company, they usually go with a smaller position. We just touched on the range of outcomes and the position size. So, uh, typically Monday would be a relatively smaller position for me. Uh, however, I really do like the odds, uh, when I look at other mature businesses, no guarantee again, that they're going to follow that pattern. Uh, not every company can end up being serviced now. Right. But Uh, you know, it's Maya Angelou who says, prepare for the worst, hope for the best and uh, be unsurprised by anything in between. So that's where we are for Monday.
0: I thought that one, monday.com was an interesting stock pick just because I was looking at it on Seeking Alpha. Even I'm looking at it right now, the quant is a strong buy as well. Wall Street has a buy rating on the stock Seeking Alpha. Authors have a buy rating on the stock. The short interest is 18.5%. And the stock is up 41% year to day. I mean, we're recording this February 15th. So, I mean, it's just like maybe somebody's listening to this right now is your word of advice to, you know, this is still a great entry point, but we're expecting this for years and years down the road or wait for a pullback and then grab an entry. What would you say to those people?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, not a financial advisor. And uh, I don't make uh, recommendations as you well know, but uh, I do share how I invest. Right. And so, I bought one day uh, on the 1st of February which was my uh, live life thrill alert going with my uh, uh, deep dive so uh, yes it's up 28% as i look in this sc- on my screen right now so it's actually done very well in the past 2 weeks just because you know the market has been roaring for um, just in general investors are more comfortable being risk on right now with uh, potential inflation going down and uh, uh, other things at stake but uh, does it mean it's over? Well, I intend, my hope when I bought two weeks ago is to go for a, you know, 10 to 20 X over 10 years uh, if everything goes really right. And so is it 30% up and therefore uh, I wouldn't invest anymore? Of course not, right? So I still have it on uh, the very high end of my uh, watch list and I will continue to build up my position in the, this year. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't think about it on uh, just a, move that changed my mindset. When I find a company that is special, talking about leadership, talking about culture, talking about the unit economics, those things don't change from a quarter to the next or based on a 10, 20% move. So I still put it uh, uh, right there at the top of my watch list. Yes.
0: Bertrand, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Like I said earlier in the episode, you're a content machine. You're always putting out complete updates every month. You're, you're creating these amazing data charts that I really highly encourage everybody to go look at. I mean, it makes the income statement, the, the balance sheet, everything is just so much simpler when you look at it. But I got to ask you for the people listening, where can they read your, re- your research? Uh,
1: yeah, thank you for asking. So the, I'm basically on Twitter at Economy App. That's where uh, I post a lot of my Uh, charts. I try to keep them pretty and entertaining so that people can grasp businesses uh, in seconds. Uh, It takes me hours to create them so I hope people enjoy them. And my portfolio service, which is really where I share uh, the nitty-gritty of where I actually invest my money, is my premium service on Seeking Alpha Call at the Community Portfolio, where I have the community of hundreds of investors who uh, we discuss, you know, things like what we talked about today, Google, Microsoft, AI, and so on. So really, you know, this is what I'm most grateful for, having a community of like-minded investors joining and tagging along. And uh, that's why I enjoy so much uh, what's, uh, what we've built now on Seeking Alpha and, uh, and uh, App Economy Portfolio. is a very special place for me to share my, uh, my thoughts.
0: Just a reminder, everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you again next week with a new episode and a new guest.